Welcome to the Art Within podcast, hosted by filmmakers Houston Coley and Nate Shepard. This is season one, cultivating community in the digital era. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Art Within podcast. We're glad that you've decided to join us for uh, episode five, is this? I haven't actually been keeping track. Something like that. We shouldn't have started with episode zero. It was an <laughs> idiotic decision. It, on th- it throws me out of whack, but at least that way that, you know, that first episode shows up really easily no matter how many episodes yeah. you do. Um, but this episode, uh, I think, will be really interesting. Um, it's definitely a topic that I've done some thinking about and exploring, but I, you know, I also feel like I'm pretty new at this. Um, and it's this idea of the gift economy. Um, and this Houston was actually your idea to talk about this. And so before I even say anything, you know, I, I would love to just hear why this has been in your brain and some thoughts that you have. I know you've been reading a book on it. Just kind of set the stage for us on what this topic is and how it relates to community in the digital age. Yeah, I. It's funny you and I brainstormed a bunch of different topics for the season at the start of this. And the gift economy was not remotely on our list of topics that we wanted to talk about. And I was sort of like, as we were brainstorming the season, I was like, all right, community and uh, uh, artists and inklings and Imagineers and uh, walkable community and theme parks and other stuff that I'm interested in. But gifts didn't really play a part in that. I didn't really see how that related to community at all. And it was sort of one of those things where yeah, I mean, I thought it was an interesting topic. I'd, I'd heard a lecture about it already, which we might mention at some point, but not something that I thought related to the theme of this season, which is building, what is it, cultivating community in the digital age. Um, mm-hmm. And that was until I sort of, I had a conversation with a friend of mine, Andy, who lives in Nashville and who works at the Rabbit Room where I've been working um, and who I actually met at Labrie. He was a Labrie worker at that time. And he recommended me a book called The Gift by Lewis Hyde. And the original title, I wanted to, <laughs> I just thought this was funny. The original title of the book is called, it was, it was originally published in 1983. The original title was The Gift, Imagination, and the Erotic Life of Property. <laughs> <laughs> Why did you change it? I know, right? Now the title is a lot a safer. Title. It's The Gift, Creativity, <laughs> and the Artist in the Modern World. Come on, man. <laughs> less sexy. I assume that he, you know, the the word erotic has come to take on a different meaning than I think it originally meant. So that's, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So the book basically explores this idea of gift economy, which is sort of a, it's a framework for viewing the world or viewing culture or or viewing how we relate to other people that kind of stands in stark contrast to the typical capitalist transactional way of seeing the world where, you know, I I give you a thing and you pay for that thing and then our relationship is ended. The gift economy idea kind of posits that if we live in a world of gifts, we actually have stronger relationships with one another because we are more dependent on each other. Hmm. And there's a sense that like, you know, when, when you pay for something, you have ended that relationship. But when you receive a gift, you kind of have a continuing relationship with that person. And when you give a gift, you have a continuing relationship with that person. I I pulled up the um, gift economy definition on Wikipedia, which is a gift economy or gift culture is a system of exchange where valuables are not sold, but rather given without an explicit agreement for immediate or future rewards. Hmm. So basically you give without expecting anything in return, which I think is kind of a simple concept, but I, I also think that the definition 
does reduce it a little bit because I think it's more than just valuables or more than just objects. It can also be about mm. a, a bunch of different things. It, it's kind of just relating to people in a way that is generous and hospitable and also being able to accept hospitality and generosity. I don't know. There's a lot going on with it and I'm still kind of trying to wrap my brain around it. But I do think that it's in some way integral to community, which is why I wanted to bring it up in this episode. Well, I mean, it, it was funny. We'll get into this in a little bit because uh, both of us, I think, have been struggling to wrap our brains around it, even though we're both like, yeah, that's it. Yeah. And that's so... Um, and it was interesting because when I, you know, for this podcast, we'll often, Houston and I will throw out questions on social media just to kind of get the conversation going, get our own creative juices flowing um, and allow other people to speak into the topic that we're talking about. And so, you know, this is, you know, this was no different. You know, both you and I put out questions and I think you were able to get a, a little bit more uh, interesting responses. I put it out and I got one response that basically was just like, oh, that's just communism and communism is great, um, which, you know, we're we're not going to get into the weeds on that, but I think there is a little bit, you know, that might be kind of the attraction right now for uh, some younger people that are drawn toward uh, sort of societal structures that mimic kind of the communist mentality. And again, without getting into the weeds, and I'm not at, by any means an expert on any of this, um, but I think there's something very attractive to this idea of sharing everything in common and not having this sort of, I have to, you know, it, it, it does run in pretty stark contrast to a capitalist society. And a lot of times those two ideas are pitted against each other. Like capitalism is the best and communism destroys the world every time or communism, you know, communism is the best and capitalism destroys the world. And it's like, everybody has their arguments. But I think there is this idea, um, especially in an overly capitalist uh, society that we live in, where we're almost tired of everything being commodified, right down to our attention, mm. to the things we create, to the things that we feel like actually make us human. And so I think that's some of, you know, maybe we don't call it the gift economy, but I've seen a lot of these sort of desires and interests and patterns. Um, you know, I, I actually have quite a few friends who own chickens and it's pretty common to just be like, here, here's a dozen eggs. And especially now that's really useful because eggs in the store are really expensive. And so, you know, there's a little bit of that, like give and take, but it's not a direct exchange. It's not, I give you eggs. Sometimes it is, but it, you know, often I think the idea of a gift economy is I freely give but then I also understand that I can ask and I can reach out or I can receive as a part of that, but there's not a one-to-one -one correlation. You're participating in a community that is simply there to, to give and to share in some capacity. So I think that's sort of the, at least the idealistic form of gift economy um, that, that people seem to be really attracted to right now. Mm. Yeah, thinking back to it, I think the real reason that I have been kind of fascinated with this this idea in recent years has been that Debbie and I, my wife and I, have kind of lived and and thrived off of gifts in the first couple years of our marriage. We are not in a place where we are able to really afford a house right now, let alone even anything other than a studio apartment. And yet, in the past few years, we've had multiple occasions of people being like, hey, I have a basement apartment that I don't even want to charge you rent to stay in. Or, hey, I can give you this place for a really low rate because we're going out of the country and you can house sit for us and that sort of thing. Hmm. Not to mention, I mean, the fact that we are where we are right now in Nashville and we've been able to work as artists in residence at, at the Rabbit Room for this kind of four-month period has been the result of a gift from our friend Andy who has been like, hey, you know, 
you guys are coming in town. Mm-hmm. I'm going to see what I can do to help you guys out. And I do think that's a that's an important clarification of it is that I've seen some things talk about the idea of the gift economy and it's kind of just about stuff. It's like gift is kind of a a synonym for presence. Like it's like, oh, we just give each other presents or something. And and some of it is very valid. It's about, you know, the idea of like passing things along that you're not using anymore, giving people things that, you know, like baby clothes or, you know, old appliances or anything that you're not using anymore, which is good for the environment and good for hand-me-down stuff and all these kind of things. And that's very valid. But I also think that the gift economy is that, but it's more than that. It's also about, you know, hospitality in general and giving someone the resources and connections that you have, giving someone a meal when they're not able to cook for themselves, that sort of thing, which also in a way, it's funny, whenever we talk about these things, it always sounds kind of broad to me. Like I'm always like, oh yeah, I mean... Everybody knows this. Everybody knows it's nice to give someone a meal or something. Everybody knows it's nice to give someone a bed when they don't have a bed. But I do think it can look different in practice as it sort of becomes a way of life for people. Hmm. And that's where, I don't know, I've seen people who live this way. And I've seen the way that it creates relationship around them. Both people who who give gifts and also people who just kind of live in gift economies benefit from gifts and give gifts. And that's the thing that's kind of different about a gift economy is that, you know, within a sort of capitalist market economy, market exchanges always create boundaries between the buyer and seller. You know, they you, you offer the money that you would pay for the thing. And then the relationship, the transaction is over and that's the end of your relationship. The gift economy kind of moves beyond those boundaries and brings a bond and creates a relationship hmm. because you are actually in debt to that person. And there's not really a way that you can repay it. There are so many people that I am in debt to from the past few years hmm. who have given so much to me, way beyond even just my parents. And I don't even really see it as like, a oh, I need to figure out a way to repay them as soon as I can. You know, it's really more of a, I am so reliant on these gifts and I see the way that I'm not an independent individual. I see the way that I'm not a self-made person because I've relied on generosity and hospitality. And that makes me the type of person or is making me the type of person who wants to be at least someone who can give in that way to others. And Debbie and I have kind of had to recognize that we're not in a place right now where we can give all the things that we have been given yet. Like I would love to offer my house to someone, but we don't have a house. (laughs) But- well, I'd like to push back on that a little bit, though, of like, and I, I feel like the, the the idea of debt at all is really tricky mm. and interesting. Um, and so even within the gift economy, uh, wondering if the word debt is the best way, you know, I'm indebted to you yeah. in a way that I can't repay because there's still almost this idea of transaction. And so I would say like for, you know, for you being in this position where, yeah, you don't have a house to offer. That doesn't mean you don't have things to offer. That 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 there isn't a value of you bringing yourself to 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 the table, or you know things that you you can offer. You know, like I, I just think about how uh, a lot of the work and the things that my wife and I do here in uh, Northern Wisconsin is like we do actually have a house, um, and and we actually were able to get into a larger house for the purpose of hosting people. Um, and I think what what my hope is with the ways that we've chosen to give. To whether that is, you know, we give financially quite, a, you know, as often as we're able to. Um, we try to host a lot, you know, if we can think of something really tangible to give someone. 
Um, but the expectation or the desire that I have, at least when I'm in my you know healthiest self, um, is not to get an in-kind, it's it's not mm. to get an exchange. It's not, yeah. okay, I bought you groceries, so when you, when I need groceries, you better buy me. Like, there's not that understanding. Exactly. Yeah. Um, for me, it's like, I'm actually, what I would love, you know, so like, for instance, something that uh, we were doing for a while, and it's just been kind of hard to get people to, to show up to stuff. We should do an episode on how do you get people to show up to stuff. <laughs> um, but there were a couple times where we hosted this like song swap or this poem, song and poem swap, where we invited a bunch of local artists to come and just the gift was a song or a poem. And it wasn't even that you had to have written it yourself, but just something that was meaningful, something that was connecting with you on a deeper level. And so for me, I'm like, I was hosting the event. Andrea was making cookies or, you know, there was like things that we were giving, but it's cliche, but it's true that it was more blessed there, there was a sense where we were more blessed in what we were able to receive as a result of, mm. of, of that space, if that makes sense. So what I wanted people to do was not to also open up their home at the same time or also bring cookies, but to bring themselves and to offer a sort of true human connection. Mm. And I think that's what's at the core of the sort of gift economy idea at its best is, and, and I think you were articulating this really well of like, it's about kind of getting past that exchange mindset and into something that actually allows us to be humans together where, and I think this is also something that that I have been learning to grow in as an artist, as somebody who both loves to perform and also hates to be sort of that guy who sits down at the piano and starts playing, you know, or whatever. And as something I began to realize that me showing up as myself with the gifts that I do have is a blessing to others is actually something, you know, I remember, mm. you know, we're going to probably reference Labrie a lot in this episode because <laughs> Labrie, the Labrie community is just very excellent at living out of this mm. gift economy ethic. But I remember being at the the English Labrie Manor House uh, when we were there a number of years ago, and I would play the piano sometimes in their uh, living room. And I remember there was this one student in particular who loved, whenever I was playing, he would love to come and lay down on the couch mm. and just listen to me play. Um, and it was just this kind of beautiful thing where it was like we were kind of giving and receiving, but not in a one-to-one traceable, there's no receipts, you know, there, there was something more beautiful, uh, transcendent or even human that was happening there. And so, I, I don't know, again, I feel like it's so hard to, to to really bring it into the concrete and to understand what it is or why it's valuable. But I, I do think some of it runs against the commodification mindset mm. in the culture. Um, I, I do feel like it's worth mentioning Andrew Fellows. Uh, he uh, was a Labrie worker. I, I don't think he's he was still the previous with director directly. Of yeah. Yeah, of the English Labrie. But he has this excellent lecture that it does a much, I think, better and more thorough job of exploring what the gift economy is, but he does it within the framework of also talking about it in contrast to capitalism. And what I love about what he talks about is that he doesn't say either or. Mm. He says we live in a capitalist system, but within that we also live in a gift, gift economy and that we can lean into that. And again, he does such a much better job than I'm doing right now. Mm. But I think that was also really helpful of just like work within what you have. Don't just adopt another political system in order to accomplish this stuff. Anyway, uh, we'll link the lecture in the notes yeah. somewhere just for those who are interested. But Well, and from the artistic standpoint, one of the things that the book, The Gift by Lewis Hyde references pretty strongly, the whole back half of the book, the, the first half of the book 
focuses on like the history of gift giving in like primitive societies and tribal societies. And it's really interesting. But then the second half of the book focuses specifically on the gift giving that an artist does with their, you know, with their talents or as some people call them, our gifts, right? In some way, we have been given a gift of an artistic ability and then we gift that gift to other people to actually spread it out into the world and maybe inspire other people to share their gift and create things, which I thought was a really interesting way of putting it. I, I also think it's it's about giving and yet it's also about learning to receive. I was thinking about an exchange, mm. <laughs> that's the wrong word, a uh, an encounter <laughs> <laughs> that I had a few weeks ago with a friend. We were eating Indian food together and she you know, Debbie, it was me and Debbie and her and the check came and the person had put all of our food on the same bill and she put her card down and paid for the meal before I could even think about putting my card down. And I, the whole rest of the dinner, I was thinking I should have been the one to pay for the meal. We invited her to this dinner. Why did I do this? Why did I not, you know, why did I not think, or why didn't I, you know, say that I would pay the tip or something? And she did that using her card or something. And so I was, embarrassed by that and then after the uh meal i found her venmo and paid her our our you know percentage of the meal just to be like all right it's it's paid we're good but that's kind of the mentality that books like the gift or this general idea of the gift economy pushes back against which is this idea that like oh i can just pay my part of this and then we're good we're done you know, the, the relationship, this this indebtedness or this, you know, sense of I owe you something or this sense of gift that you've given me, it's reconciled now. Like it's over. Mm. And I sort of after doing that, a few days later, I read this book and I was like, man, maybe I should have just <laughs> learned to accept that that was a gift that she gave me. And maybe in the future huh. I would pay for another meal or something, but it doesn't have to be like a specific one to one thing. I, I also think it's interesting. The book notes that it's not just about one-to-one, -one, I give you a gift and you give me a gift. It says that hmm. the, and it's interesting because the book is not written from a quote Christian perspective, though I think that there's a lot of things that resonate through it with that, but it actually notes that true gift economies start with the Trinity. It's not about two hmm. people. I give you something, you give me something because that's still exchange. <laughs> Even when you're, hmm. you know, giving a gift and not expecting something in return, then they give you something back. It's still kind of the subtext is that you're giving something in return but as soon as a third person is introduced, it becomes a gift economy. It becomes a community mm. where I give mm. you something and maybe you give something else to someone else. And it's not about giving mm. back to me. It's just about becoming the type of person who gives mm. in general. Yeah, I wonder, as you were just talking a minute ago, I was like, I think I have the word rather than being like talking about it in terms of debt. Mm. Um, we are indebted to each other. I think, again, that gets more at the commodification. We need to settle the debt. We need to settle the score. Yeah. What, it, what we're actually doing in a, in a sort of gift economy is we are belonging to each other. So there's a sense where now we have ownership over each mm. other. And some of what that means is that we take care of each other. We seek to meet each other's needs. But exactly what you're saying is when, you know, it goes both ways. We both, you know, in more of a sort of commodified culture versus a gift-oriented uh, culture, there's this like, I can neither give nor receive. So I'm not generous, but I'm also not allowing people, I'm not vulnerable. Mm. 
And there's this interesting thing that happens when, you know, if I, just to run with the term, it, when I belong to someone and they belong to me. So it's not an, like an ownership and again, it's not an ownership in like a, a, a capitalist sense of ownership. It's an ownership of we belong to each other, that we as a group have ownership over each other. It's not one person over another. It's not a hierarchy in that way. Um, but what that means is that we look out for each other and we care for each other's needs. And then we start to realize that we have more than just material needs. And so we do sh sort of uh, short circuit that experience without realizing it because we're so, you know, I know exactly that feeling of like, oh, I should pay this. Oh, I, you know, did you pay last time? Like you, you, and some of it is we don't want to be freeloaders. We, you know, there, there's like, there are good motivations for, for wanting to do that. But I think there is something actually really beautiful. It's actually a gift to receive. Mm. We actually give something to someone when we receive something from them, when we allow others mm. to step into that role, especially people who I think have been on the receiving end so much and just so much long to mm. to to bless or to give to someone else. Yeah. And so there have been a number of times where we, you know, we we've been given things when we're in a situation where we're like, we don't need things. Like we're we're fine. We've got our our bills are paid. There's no issues here. But rather than us saying, uh, no, no, thank you, we just receive the gift and then usually we'll pass it on to somebody else without maybe even telling the, the original giver. Um, maybe that's good, maybe that's bad. But I think there's a sense where it's like we recognize the blessing that it is to be able to give for a lot of people. Mm. So, so rejecting it can sometimes actually uh, mm. sort of work against us and some of that deeper yeah. community and belonging that we're, that we're looking for. Yeah. And the sense of kind of relationship that giving is able to create with the person who receives and then receiving mm. is able to create with the person who's given. Yeah. And the lines, I think over time, the lines start to blur too. Mm. So it becomes less of this like benefactor. Exactly. Yeah. Man, I, I could do a whole podcast talking about what I call the benefactor syndrome. <laughs> when you when you give gifts, but with strings attached, I don't want to get into it now, but it's such a, once you start to see it, you can't unsee it in people. Mm. And I've seen it in myself where you get into this mindset of I'm such a generous person and then I get really mad when something doesn't go a certain way. Oh, well, that's actually something different. Mm. I think I'm being generous, but I, there's actually strings attached. But again, that's that's probably a different episode. But I think, again, yeah, there's this humility and this beauty that uh, that we're able to enter into when we genuinely give and receive and it starts to blur over time where it's like who's giving, who's receiving, we don't have those types of hierarchies yeah. uh, when, we, when we enter into that. And so, yeah, it's, it's really fascinating. Well, I think, yeah, like a misconception of gift giving, obviously the sort of strings attached thing is a, is a huge mis misconception of what a gift is, a sort of giving, but with, mm. you know, oh, but you have to use it this way or, oh, but, you know, you you have to do this with it or, oh, but I'll, I can take it back whenever I want. That's not really a gift. But I, I also think another misconception is sort of this almost platitude of like, oh, the more you give, the more you'll get in return, you know, and maybe that's mm. true, but it's not really the point and it shouldn't be the point. And, and that's actually something interesting. I, I think one one interesting um example of the gift economy in a practical modern day setting is there's all these um, groups on Facebook called buy nothing groups. I think you said you're mm. a part of one, right? Yeah, we have one here in, in Rhinelander. Yeah, they're basically localized 
groups where people are able to, able to join the Facebook group. They have an app too, but I got the app and it's like no one's on it. <laughs> I think they're just on the Facebook groups. It's like you, you put out a request and no one I, – I was scrolling through and like all the requests are from like six months ago and no one has liked them or done anything. But on <laughs> Facebook apparently it's like super active. Like people use this all the time. And yeah. it's basically a thing where you can – Put out something on Facebook that you want to give, that you want to give away and see if someone wants it, or you can put out a need that you have and see if someone steps up and says, hey, I have that thing and you can have it. And they like ban bartering and they ban payment and they ban any sense of like exchange with it, which is awesome. So apparently those are like really flourishing, especially post pandemic and have created a lot of community between people because it's like, oh, I'm actually getting to know my neighbors now. <laughs> like it's mm. it's coming because of our shared needs and then, you know, being able to to find each other and meet each other in that. But that's all to say I watched a few it, – it's, for some reason, it's one of those things that, like, cable news has done a lot of, like, covering of. So I watched, like, several ABC and NBC morning news report things where they're like, the Buy Nothing group is the latest craze that everyone's doing on Facebook. And they go profile someone who's given something away. But it was really funny because for all of these news stations, it felt like a huge part of it was like, hey, you can get stuff for free. <laughs> Hmm. And and they were like, hmm. there was actually a, a hilarious one that I watched where this guy was like, he was from New York. He was a very quirky guy. And he was like, I used to be addicted to buying stuff all the time. Before I would go to bed every night, I would scroll through Amazon and I would just buy things before I went to bed. So I'd have something show up in the morning and it would make me happy. But then I found this buy nothing app and now I get everything for free. <laughs> And so he's like taking you on a tour of his house and he's like, I got that for free and I got that for free and I got that for free and I got that for free. And I'm waiting for like the point in the story, like on the news station where it's going to be like, and this guy is giving away so much and they never got to it. And so I was like, you just replaced one app with another. Scrooge became became like the best keeper of Christmas in all the land. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that's what's interesting is, you know, as you indicated, we're, we do have a local buy nothing and it has it has worked i think in some really fun and and beautiful ways some of it is a matter of uh you know meeting the needs of people um but also a lot of it is here's something i have no use for mm. so let me rather than throwing it out or throwing it on ebay let's just see if somebody local wants it and sometimes it's even it's certainly less hassle but even cheaper than shipping it you know to somebody else but I think you're right that there's this like uh, the, there's definitely a draw. Like I said before, I think there's a draw to this type of living without really a deeper examination of what the core deeper human uh, uh, sort of beliefs have to be in place for it to work. And again, I don't want to get in the weeds on this, but I think that that's some of the breakdown of when we talk about a capitalist versus a communist system and you know socialism and all these high level things. We're not going to turn into a political podcast, I promise. <laughs> um, but it's like, we, we all know that those conversations are happening and that there's a lot of push for this, that, and the other thing. And I think my understanding is, you know, so like for instance, I guess you can edit this out if you uh, decide that this is too, uh, too edgy for the podcast here. But, you know, I'll hear a lot, you know, I have a lot of friends who've moved more toward a socialist or, or communist mentality, you know, would, would sort of push for that in government and things like that. And some of them, a lot of them are coming from a Christian framework. And so we'll cite certain passages, particularly in the book of Acts, the early church, where they have all things in common yeah. as sort of this, this is why we should do it this way. And 
I have my own sort of, you know, I'm I'm not going to be one form of governance over another. I, I'm not t- uh, smart enough to figure that out. But I think something that we sometimes miss with that is like, well, first of all, this isn't a government rule system that was happening in the early church. Yeah. Um, this was very underground and this was very actually the people who were living in a dictatorship, who were living in a completely different form of government than than the life that they were living. And again, that's what I love about Andrew Fellow's lecture is that he very much emphasizes the capitalism is the waters we swim in. So this isn't about somehow pretending as though we can be something that we fundamentally can't be, but realizing that the deeper fabric of the universe, sort of the, the generous God who created it all, is is full of this gift economy and that whatever system of government or system of, of commerce that we set up, that the, the sort of the deeper fabric of that reality is still going to remain true and that we can still tap into that even within these other systems. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's this beauty of just seeking rather than looking, and th- this would be some of it too, is like rather than looking for a buy nothing equivalent or, and, and again, those things can be great. I'm, uh, we really appreciate having that in our community, but that doesn't equal community. That doesn't, I don't know the people that I've swapped stuff with. Or if I do know them, I already knew them. I, I already had relationships. So it's not creating the, the kind of community uh, that we want. And so we have to realize that some of that is just the blood, sweat, and tears of inviting somebody over to your apartment to wherever, whether you own it or not, um, or, you know, be really crazy and invite yourself over to their place, you know, but it's that kind of stuff. <laughs> that's of a just, classic Jesus move. It's a, it's a classic Jesus move. <laughs> um, but it really is, you know, again, Jesus uh, and, and the early church was working within whatever systems, at times defying, at times pushing against uh, things that that were dehumanizing, but they still were working within the culture and the systems that they were in and and were able to, I think, achieve some aspect of this vision. I would also say that you watch sort of the early church unfold and it doesn't take long for them to to not really be having all things in common, for things to sort of go awry and everybody's fighting and, you know, trying to get their uh, hoard what they have and all of that. And so I think it, it takes hard work and it takes a, a sort of commitment over a long time to, to mm. see some of this. But I guess it's a long way of saying it is possible and it doesn't require, uh, or it, yeah, we don't have to completely change every aspect of our existence in order to achieve it. Well, and I think it's worth noting that, you know, not to get too preachy with this episode, but like, I just think <laughs> it's interesting that the gospel is a gift exchange in some sense. The gospel is a mm. gift that we've been given that we're meant to pass on because we have Mm. no way of repaying it and we're not meant to, right? I mean, and Mm. many people do use the word debt in in relationship to that. Jesus paid our debts or, you know, we have a debt that we can't can't repay, but Jesus did pay it. And so there's a sense of like, yeah, this is sort of, at least for someone who is coming at it from a Christian framework, this gift idea and gift economy is actually baked into the fabric of reality. Not to mention hospitality as a theme being baked into the fabric of the Bible, right? I mean, that's like Mm. one of the most crucial biblical themes. I I wrote down the verse that Jesus said. I was just like flipping through my Bible on Easter Sunday and came across the verse that said, uh, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors because they might invite you in return and that will be your repayment. Mm. When you give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed since they do not have the means to repay you. Wow. And I'm like, man, that's, that's always convicting. Yeah. 
and really good. And I think speaks so much to any era of hospitality and gifts. Hmm. I, I definitely was thinking about what are the practical examples of that? Because I, I think we are still, as with all of these episodes, we're a bit high level. And I think mm. that, you know, I hope that in the second season of the show, we can have some more experts on to talk about things way more intelligently than we normally would. Mm. But I was thinking today, all right, so what does this look like, especially for people listening to this podcast who exist maybe primarily in the digital world or who are mm. artists or creators on the internet? And I was like, I think maybe sometimes a gift economy in the digital world is just like promoting someone else's work or retweeting their new project without expecting them to do that for you. Sometimes maybe it's offering your Netflix or Creative Cloud login. <laughs> sometimes it's like the gift of taking time to reply to a question in your mm. comment section even when that person could have and should have just Googled what they were asking you. Mm. <laughs> I think those are all gifts in an online mm. landscape. And there's probably a myriad of other examples we could give, not to mention the gift of actually sharing your art online, which is often something mm. that you're doing without expecting payment in return. And I think is a beautiful thing because you're putting something out there in the hopes that something will come of it someday. Maybe someone will be moved by it. Someone will be inspired by it. Someone will make art because of that. And that mm. is its own reward. So yeah, I, you know, I think there's there's vague ways to talk about this. There's practical ways to talk about it, but those are some of the things that that popped well, into my head this afternoon. To speak a little more specifically to okay, an artist in the digital age, I think the what we were talking about earlier of like a mindset of gift versus ex, you know exchange is I'm putting myself out there not to achieve something or to impress someone. Like I think for mm. me, there's been a very big learning curve and a shift over time where I was, you know, I, every, every filmmaker, every songwriter, every artist knows that the people that are the least likely to engage with your work are the people who know you the best. That's not true necessarily across the board, but it's pretty common, a common experience where, you know, I finish one of my movies and I don't know if half my family has even seen it. <laughs> you know, if they've bothered to even look at it. I, and if they have, they haven't told me. So part of living out of the, I think you're right, part of living out mm. of the, that sort of gift economy is going out of your way to affirm someone, to, you know, yeah. write out that longer comment on the YouTube video. I know it's it's kind of a silly thing to say, but it actually is really helpful and meaningful mm. when you have somebody who actually watched it took the time to comprehend oh, yeah. it and to yeah. reflect on it and even draw out their own meaning from it is is worth a, way more than going viral on all these other views and things like that. Well, it makes me think of Joel Haver, who's a YouTuber who, uh, for the longest time, now he's blown up and so he's overwhelmed by the amount of people who send him stuff. But I think he still tries to do it, which for the longest time, he, he had his channel for like five years before he blew up. And his promise was, if you send him a short film of yours that you've made, or a film of yours that you've made that's over 45 minutes, then he'll watch it and give you his thoughts. And he'll mm. find a time to do it. And it might take him six months, but he'll get to it and he'll watch it and he'll get back to you. And I think he's still trying to do that. But I think that's like <laughs> such a gift economy thing. Like it's such a gift for him to do. A gift of his time, a gift of his thoughts, a gift of mm. his you know presence of mind. And uh, you know that's not something that you see very often on the internet. I thought it was and a really genuine thing. That requires, I think, a reorientation of the artist to their own art and to what it mm. means to put something out there. And so I think that's, 
that's probably one of the first places to start as an artist is what, why am I putting this out there? Am I putting this out there to be adored, to be praised, to, to make money, <laughs> you know, or am I putting this out there as a sort of a love, I hate the term love offering, but it's, it's this kind of concept of like, I'm putting this out there out of love for my fellow humans and out of a need to sort of express these inner uh, experiences that I'm having or wh whatever it is. And that that often can be far more satisfying and meaningful, especially when people do engage with that. Even if mm -hmm. it's only three people, isn't that better? Like I have a video right now. It's my, you know, my, I actually have two videos that have gone pseudo viral. So I have one video that's a a documentary about the, the the birth of the modern snowmobile. I don't remember if I've mentioned this on the podcast, so forgive me if Maybe. this is repetitious. Um, <laughs> but it's you know it's it's over seventeen thousand views on YouTube now, and uh, half of the comments are people criticizing the claim of the video. It's like people saying, <laughs> oh, technically it wasn't this guy, it was this other guy. And then there's other people fighting and sort of making fun of each other in the comments. And so you're like, uh, even when they are positive comments, half the time they're so unintelligible that you're like, okay, thanks, I guess. I don't know what this or, is about. Or it's a comment that someone <laughs> could have commented just by reading the title and not actually watching it. Like that's right. the most insulting comment to get, I think, is when someone's like just offering their two cents on a thing when they clearly they didn't clearly even watch your video yeah. at all. <laughs> So again, is that what you want? Is that what's going to make you satisfied as an artist? Even if you go viral, is that what you actually want? Or do you want to be seen, known, and loved? And a big part of how you do that is by belonging and you know belonging to a community. And how you do that without it turning into this sort of exchange of uh, you owe me this and now I'm I'm frustrated because you won't do this for me or whatever. Uh, the only way to to avoid that is to to orient yourself in more of this gift economy way. And so I think it's been a really helpful shift in my own thinking for artistic work, for spiritual work, for just being in my family and being amongst my friends where there's all of these dynamics constantly at play. There's always mm -hmm. people who are miffed at somebody else for not, you know, upholding their end of some unspoken expectation or bargain. And it's ruining relationships because we don't, we let these sort of patterns go unchallenged. And that's what I think, if anything, this conversation can be helpful, at least has been helpful for us in challenging those assumptions that we didn't even know we were making about yeah. how exactly, you know, just like going out to, to dinner with a friend and you feeling this overwhelming need to even the score and realizing that perhaps that's actually short-circuiting your opportunity to to do things that you actually value to to actually build these community you know the, these friendships and I think it's just a really helpful framing and and push back against our our typical patterns of thought yeah I it makes me think about I mean it's such a complex topic and I think that we could do a whole episode on the idea of how do you make art when it's also your profession? You know, mm. what happens mm -hmm. when your art is also your job? And that's such a complex thing. I think the best movie about that is Kiki's Delivery Service. And now I'm thinking about that from a gift economy perspective because <laughs> it's kind of about her giving gifts in a weird way. That's that's interesting. I never thought about that. But <laughs> I, I'm going to have to think about that. <laughs> that just hit me. But I, I think that it is interesting in some way that I have found personally that since I have stopped doing YouTube full-time and having it be my main job, I've actually found that my art is a lot more, I'm able to kind of gift it more mm. because I'm not like 
expecting or needing there to be like, I, I you know, when I was doing YouTube full time, it had its own rewards and I, and I enjoyed being able to devote more time to a video and not just having it be my side project. But on the other hand, I would devote so much time to certain videos and then it was like, okay, I need this to be successful. I need this to go viral. I need this to, you know, be a success and bring in the money that I need. And so I'm going to change the thumbnail 10 times to make sure that it, you know, hits mm. the algorithm correctly. And I'm going to keep changing mm. the title to make sure it gets into the algorithm. And, you know, in some ways that's necessary. And I think that's a complicated topic because it's not wrong to monetize your art. It's not wrong mm. to have a job mm -hmm. as an artist. It's not wrong to need to play to the algorithm. But in some ways I have found it more fulfilling to not have YouTube be my full-time thing mm. because I can just make a video and it's not my biggest video and I don't need to make money from it. Mm. And when it does make some money, that's nice. But, you know, on the whole, it's able just to just be my gift to the audience mm. that does watch it and not something that I need to expect some sort of repayment from or some sort of, you know, exchange mm. from. So... Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, again, as I like to always do at the end of our episodes, you know, I want to put it back to those who are listening, especially with this one. Not that we're experts on any of the things we've talked about, but I feel like in particular, this is something we're both very impacted by, fascinated by, but still kind of grasping, like, what does this mean? And mm. so if you are listening and have thoughts or questions or even experiences and anecdotes to lend to this conversation of gift economy and what this looks like and what, what why, you know, when has it worked? When has it not worked? And what are, what are some of your experiences, you know, with that? Um, definitely leave us a, a line on all of our, you know, links or Substack and yeah. um, all of that. And maybe we can list all of those at the end of the, at the end of the podcast here. But I, I didn't know. I don't know if you still wanted to address. I know you got a few answers to your question. If that uh, is pertinent to our conversation at this point, yeah. Um, for people who don't know, we usually do discussion questions between each episode, like a few days before the episode drops. And this one, in this case. I asked it like two weeks ago because we kind of had, had a delay with this episode with Easter being busy. But I basically said on Twitter and on Substack, what's the most meaningful gift or act of generosity you've ever received outside of holidays or birthdays? Are you still close with the person who gave it? And the idea was sort of like I wanted to elicit like if someone had given a gift and then that had sort of created a relationship between them and that person, you know, in this sort of, yeah, in that way. So I actually answered the question. I said, my film teacher in high school helped me to rally the whole class to be the crew for my first short film and gave me his time and resources and gear to help finish it on the weekends, even, even after school had ended and his job was over. He and I are still super close today. So that was my answer. But a few people said some really interesting things. One of them, <laughs> okay, wait, I'm going to save that one for the end. Now there's some anticipation because this one's pretty good. But um, someone said, in high school, I directed this little skit I made up to perform for the graduating students. And during that time, all of us were prepare preparing for our finals, but all my classmates took the time to rehearse the skit multiple times, and it turned out great, and I'm forever grateful. So that was kind of lovely. One person said, a blanket and a pillow when I was sleeping on the street. It changed everything. So that's mind-blowing. Um, and then, mm. <laughs> well, actually, okay, one more. Thomas Atkinson said, in 1999, about 20 of my friends chipped in and bought me a $500 ticket to the charity benefit preview screening of The Phantom Menace. They surprised, it, surprised me with it the day of. I cried through the whole movie because I have such great friends. I loved the movie, and I still do. After 16 years since Return of the Jedi, all I'd wanted was a trip to go back to the Star Wars galaxy. My friends even had, had me bring my new Jedi robes so they could see. 
I still had no clue that I was going to the movies after lunch. I'm still close with most of them, but way too many have died now. I don't know what I did to deserve such great friends, but I hope I can keep doing it. Mm. So that was lovely. And then finally, this is the one that's kind of insane. <laughs> Dylan Storm said, In college, my friend convinced me to get, it on a, get in on a fake ID order. It got intercepted by the U.S. government and sent to our school. He lied to our school, saying he'd ordered the ID for me as a surprise, saving me from getting suspended. Met most of my current best friends that semester. <laughs> this was like nine years ago, and we haven't kept in touch. Dude changed the whole trajectory of my life, though. Almost every meaningful relationship I have now was able to happen as a result of how I grew as a person, as a person partially from meeting the people I met, because he did that, and I got to stay in school. <laughs> so, wow. interesting gift. <laughs> Huh. But that might be a good place to stop. <laughs> well, I, I just gonna to, to kind of tie that all together. At least what I'm hearing in some of those answers is that all of them have something to do with the almost like the the humanity of that person being seen. Hmm. Um, and there's and there's often this very specific to the need or to the situation. So it's not just a hmm. blanket gift. It's not an expensive one. Uh, it yeah. might just be a blanket and, and a pillow. But it's I see you, I see your your humanity, and I want to to sort of speak value into you as a person without this expectation. And that's the beauty of the gift economy, I think, is that when I give you something without an expectation of return, it means that I I see you as a human being, not as an opportunity. Mm. I see you for the dignity that you have. And so I think, and then as a result, we we build and we grow and we bestow dignity on each other. And, and that's what a community, a healthy community ultimately is, is people with dignity belonging to each other and bestowing that dignity on each other. And so at least that's the, that's some of the pattern I see there. And I think for a lot of us, you know, for me, the, the gifts that have been most meaningful are the ones where you're like, wow, you know me, you mm. see me. That was a very specific, only somebody who knew me would know why that would matter. And those are always the most, be I've gotten expensive gifts before, but those aren't the ones that stick with me. It's those often handmade uh, gifts that are so attuned to me as a person that, that I think speak to that. And so, I don't know, maybe that's a, a good way to wrap up our conversation here, but definitely want to yeah. hear other people's thoughts. And uh, so, yeah, if you want to weigh in on our Substack art within... What, you're better at giving all the URLs and the links than I am. So, uh, maybe well, yeah, you should get on Substack there. because they just launched their like competitor timeline stream social media feed to Twitter. And thus far, <laughs> way cleaner, way more well managed, no ads. It's just kind of a lovely place to be. It's like the calm before the storm, before it blows up. But <laughs> it's, it's actually a really great. And, and that was why Elon tried to ban it last week because he was like, <laughs> I didn't, no one can quote, no one can send out Substack links on Twitter. And then everyone, bullied him out of doing that so thank god but now we can we can share our Substack. Substack. Yeah. it's substack.com slash art within podcast i'm pretty sure that's right should we <laughs> I think that's right that but so we don't say the wrong thing it's just uh <laughs> it's art within dot substack.com oh right sorry i'm an idiot uh yeah that's my my twitter is art within pod the Substack is art within dot substack.com so you can go there, subscribe to the podcast there. It comes straight to your email. And then there's also a way to, to go to the notes tab of Substack. And that's where you kind of see the basically tweets that Substack writers can, can post. So yeah, anyway, we will be sending out a discussion question for next, week, next week's episode in a few days. And uh, 
I'm excited for what we'll talk about next. I'm actually not sure what we're going to talk about next. It's always (laughs) a surprise. But uh, yeah, thank you everybody for tuning in. And as always, uh, we appreciate your support and appreciate the conversations that you uh, participate in and allow us to have. And so uh, we will see you next week. See ya. See ya.